I'm Carrie Jr. the second, and this is On the Line. This week, we're bringing you a different kind of episode. One about these Motown-type sounds you're hearing right now. And a Metro Detroit man that used to grace the airways to showcase them. Some of the older folks probably know his name best. Robin Seymour, whose real name uh, was uh, Seymour Altman. Robin rose to fame back in the 1950s and 60s, especially for his TV show Swingin' Time that featured top artists like Stevie Wonder, Bob Seger, and Martha and the Vandellas. But we're talking about him because of the late DJ's presence in a documentary that will be featured at the upcoming Freep Film Festival, which opens next week. The festival has been running annually since 2014 and really seeks to tell Michigan and Detroit stories. And as you know, that's what we're all about. So we spoke with director Bill Kubota about Robin Seymour, the art of filmmaking, and his film called Detroit Remember When, Rockin' Robin Seymour. Let's get into it. I'm Bill Kubota, B-I-L-L-K-U-B-O-T-A. I'm 63 years old. I grew up in Royal Oak. Who is he, first off, and, and what, what do you think about him is why y'all chose to do a, a full documentary about him and his career? This guy was probably one of the most important broadcasters in Detroit history. He grew up in the, the Jewish part of Detroit, went to Central High School, and uh, after World War II, he, he came to a radio station in Dearborn called WKMH, a really small station, really. And he was one of the first guys to really bring in R&B into mainstream radio. And uh, one of the first guys really to bring in rock and roll on uh, mainstream radio back in the early and mid-50s. But then jumped to television with the dance show in the mid-60s at the time when Motown was getting big. So this is a television show that aired uh, coming out of Windsor, Canada, with all these major rock and roll stars playing on his television show. But by the late 60s, uh, the show had gone away and for the most part, kind of forgotten, you know. He was our Alan Freed, and when you go to television, he was our Dick Clark. He always was good at picking out who was going to be good and who wasn't. His daughter said uh, in the film that uh, he did get it wrong sometimes. We always laugh because he couldn't have been that great because when he heard Elvis Presley, he said, this guy's gonna bomb. And so uh, that was not the case. But he, he, he pretty much got anything and everything going, at least for the Detroit market. He didn't have those kind of uh, boundaries. So here he is in, in Dearborn, a really white city at the time. Uh, willing to take a chance and play uh, what they called at the time race record. Why, why was he the one that could do it that other stations weren't able to do it? He was a music enthusiast and he was an open-minded guy. You got to remember in the 40s and 50s, this is segregated America. And in the film, he even talks about it. He thinks he was probably the first basically white radio station to play an African-American uh Record. I mean, the records we were playing, I mean, I'll, I'll give you an idea. I, I, I don't even know what happened to it. I remember playing a record by an artist called Bull Moose Jackson. 
This clip you're hearing right now of Robin is from a 2009 Detroit public television documentary entitled Detroit Remember When? The History of Detroit Television. And probably the first record by a black person that was ever played on a radio station in Detroit other than I think the only other station there that was WJLB. Is what Robin Seymour did for our region, does that set him apart from other DJs across the country? I think uh, he probably is in the same uh, class as a lot of these other really famous DJs nationwide. And there aren't that many. But Detroit was a major, major market back then. We were the fifth largest television market. Um, We had all the music coming out of here. And a lot of the music in this uh, documentary that we look at is homegrown stuff. You had, you know, Motown. You had people like Bob Seger. Swinging time. Proud to present Bob Seger in the last herd. Let's go, everybody. Mitch Ryder. Yeah, the MC5 is actually in this thing. And if you go back before that in radio, you had people like Little Willie John that were on the radio. And even before that, a guy named Johnny Ray, who was a crooner that goes back to the early 50s, that uh, Susan Whitehall, who we talked to in the film, who was a, a leading uh music journalist said that he was kind of the precursor to what would become which is rock and roll and a lot of the moving the movement you saw elvis do in his prime that came directly from johnny ray that flailing of the legs that real sexy kind of move there's parts of the film where it talks about how seymour's show swinging time was a place where motown founder barry gordy would send his acts because it was so close to Detroit being in Windsor and that because of that, you know, Swinging Time was able to pull from a large repertoire of acts and performances. If you think about it, it was really the only game in town by like 64, 65, 66. And to do television is an important thing for all these musical artists. And for the Motown artists to go there was kind of like, broadcast television training because they'd all end up on things like the national shows or or uh, American Bandstand or some those sort of shows but you know why not practice your moves on local television and they were super popular here so imagine being in a studio as a kid to see these people live you'll as you see in the film he intros him he interviews him but he isn't really a flamboyant amazing big time personality He's just another fan. Mm-hmm. Robin Seymour for that time kind of filled that gap in Detroit. He was old enough because he was he was of the greatest generation. He was in World War II, but he was still able to present these acts 20 years later and kind of relate to the kids. I still don't understand how he was able to do that. I can't see myself at 40 still knowing what 20, 21-year-olds want to listen to. It, it was talked about in the film, he talk to the kids he did research he had kind of a, you know he would pull the kids he would ask him what was hot what wasn't and uh, he would get a read so it wasn't necessarily just his taste he was getting a lot of input from the the audience what was one of your favorite moments of the film that you made robin seymour would have this annual uh, review down at the fox theater just like they had the motown review at the fox theater every year 
uh, Robin Seymour would have a review with all the acts, Motown acts. And Robin tells a story, and Martha Reeves does too, about what happened. Robin Seymour booked a show. We had the Soul Brothers. We had the Dramatics. We had quite a few local acts, but the thing that I remember most that we were starring that show. We were the headliners. And this was, they were having this uh, review on, in July of 1967. We were getting ready to debut our Jimmy Mac. Because that was the day, uh, the days of the rebellion, and they couldn't figure out why nobody was coming to the show because they didn't know there was basically a riot going on. And uh, they talk about that. And that's how Swinging Time and Robin Seymour really helps tell the history of Detroit in a different way through uh, popular culture and music and living here at that time. After the break, we'll talk about what went into the production of Bill's film and hear from Kathy Kalashevsky, the artistic director of the Free Film Festival. My name is Phoebe Wall Howard, and I am an automotive reporter at the Detroit Free Press. This year, we have covered an incredible range of stories, people, products, business trends, everything about cars and the people who design them, as well as the people who buy them, whether it's the Ford F-150 all-electric Lightning or the Mustang Mach-E, the hot little Maverick, or a profile on the chief engineer, Linda Zhang, who plans to transform the industry with her vision of electrification. We also do profiles of executives behind the scenes, how things come to be, and in the case of Ford Motor Company, why Oreo cookies played such a major role in the development of truck design. Many, many people reach out and ask, how can we support your work or how can we read more about this? And one of the easiest ways is to subscribe to the Detroit Free Press. We are the most reasonably priced in the whole country. For $1, you can receive six months of digital access for all of my work and that of my team on the autos coverage, as well as news, politics, education here at the Detroit Free Press. To learn more, head to freep.com backslash special offer. Thanks so much. And we're back. I'm Carrie Jr. the second. This is on the line. Let's hop back into our conversation. Um, now I want to talk about filmmaking, documentary filmmaking to be specific. One thing you talked about was how you made this film during the pandemic. Um, can you just talk about what that experience was like and how it's changed from when you how you usually produce films? The problem was that there were certain people I had to shoot in person, mostly because uh, they couldn't do what we were using instead of Zoom with StreamYard, a different way of doing virtual uh, interviews. Uh, but that was good in a way because I had such a small time frame to make this thing. I had a deadline of late November I had to be on the air, and I really started it in October. That's the quickest I've ever made a long form. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
I don't recommend it a whole lot. Julia, how do you figure out what, what films you want to make? I knew some of the people involved with the story, and I knew the general story because it's a broadcasting mm-hmm. story. Broadcasters love this sort of thing. Uh, we kind of sort of did a little version of uh, his story 12 years ago when we did the History of Detroit Television, and that's how we had some of the material that I could use to tell his story, you know. And and beyond just this story, too, when you when you're picking films, is it something that you've already care about that you pick or is it, you know, you want to make a film and, you know, not necessarily it's offered to you, but there's like a selection of films and you can choose between them. Do You just walk down the street and like, you know, this is really interesting in my life. I wonder how this can have a broader impact on other people's lives. And let me tell a story about it. Yeah, you want to find something in there that is somewhat universal, mm-hmm. right? You want to, for me, I want to tell something that has some sort of social connection, right? Uh, uh, I think with the Robin Seymour story, it really was one of, uh, he did what he wanted to do and he followed his dream and he did it. And, and that's kind of what I like to think that happens. That's his story. And, and do you think documentary films, specifically historic ones, that you tend to make more of are in some ways limiting just because you only have what information's out there and, you know, the story isn't completely crafted by you? <laughs> I say historical ones will make you crazy compared to, say, say you follow a guy, you're making a story about his life and you're following around with a camera. It's really finite. It's whatever you shot is what you're going to put on the screen. With historical stuff, you can go eight different directions trying to tell your story and bring it from here to there. And here you can possibly put in anything, you know. They're totally different in a Mm -hmm. way. But it makes me think of like going into an ice cream store and you just have like so many different choices of ice creams you can get. It's just so many because like... The history, like you just said, there's so much information on how many w- different ways you can go with it. And so because of that, it's just like, ah, now I have to make a decision. And it seems like you only had a month and you were able to figure out what kind of ice cream you wanted with the toppings and all that good stuff. Well, thank you. <laughs> well, thank you for talking with me, uh, Bill. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, anytime. All right. You have a great day. You too. Detroit Remember When, Rockin' Robin Seymour is just one of many films screening at the Freep Film Festival next week. Here to talk more about the event is Senior Director of Visuals at the Free Press and the Artistic Director of the Festival, Kathy Kelashevsky. How do you go about selecting the films that you screen at the festival? Our focuses for Freep is um, is really focusing on stories that we think are relevant and resonate here in Michigan in the Midwest. That's our sweet spot. We're looking for Michigan films and Michigan filmmakers that we can highlight and uplift. Um, You know, I've always been just impressed and surprised when I discover another film about about Michigan or Detroit. Um, It just seems to be a place that's ripe for stories and storytellers. The Rockin' Robin film. um, What made you choose that film? Um, You know, we always have a mix of films, right? Documentaries are usually equated with like really heavy topics, right? But then there's also films that just celebrate, um, you know, uh, aspect of culture or or art and entertainment or sports. And this film in particular looks at a time in kind of Detroit's broadcast history um, that I just think is a really important time when when rock and roll and music was 
uh, alighting an entire generation of Detroiters. And um, Robin Seymour was the voice of that. There's some amazing scenes from Swingin' Time and all these great bands that are from Detroit, um, footage that you just don't see that often. And so it was all brought together in this great film that celebrated, you know, Detroit's rich musical history. How many films will you be screening in this year's festival? Almost 35 films, and that includes shorts. Okay. So um, uh, so we, what we say often is 25 programs. So 25 film programs, including the shorts that might have three or four uh films within a single program. Thank you so much for talking with me, Kathy. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thanks, Gary. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. I know we said it was next week, but if you want more information about the Freep Film Festival, like specific dates and venues and what's going to be showing a full listing, head over to FreepFilmFestival.com. This episode was produced by me and Darcy Moran with help from Tad Davis. Anjanette Delgado and Marianne Struman are our executive producers, and Peter Bhatia is our editor. An additional thank you goes out to free music writer Brian McCullum, who supported us on this episode. The music for the show is called Fort Trumbull and was produced by DJ Lost Boy. Thanks for listening. Go ahead and like, subscribe, leave a comment, rate us. We really appreciate it. See you next week.